Well, if you would, open your Bibles this morning to John, John chapter 7. And as I said last week, we kind of took a wide swath over this whole big portion of the scripture. And so this morning, we're just going to hone in on a couple verses this morning. Verses 37 through 39. And I believe if the Pew Bible, there would be page uh, maybe 893, something like that. You could find it there. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. And also, uh, in case we've been gone for so long and you have lost or have filled up your scripture journal booklet, we do have some more or still have some on the table back there if you'd like to pick one of those up also. I think it's always very helpful that you can follow along uh, with me to, to verify myself. And also, uh, you know, the scriptures can speak to you a little bit differently at times. You know, it has one meaning, but it can be applied in multiple ways, right? And so I think it's very helpful for you to be able to follow along and actually see uh, where these verses are coming from. So John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. And God's word reads, Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this text to us and for us, not only that we can understand it, but also that we know how to apply it and make it applicable uh, for our day-to-day life. Lord, we know that it's always applicable, and we know that sometimes it's so easy for for me, for us to want to read our biases into the verses, and Lord, help us not to do that. We want to know what you have for us from these verses here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Quench your thirst. I've titled this, Quench Your Thirst. Water. We are literally surrounded by water. In fact, some days, as it did maybe the past two days, it feels as though we're living inside a fish tank. The human body, we are told, is made up of about 60% water. 60% water. And so I weigh 160 pounds-ish, so 96 pounds, think about that, 96 pounds of my body weight is water, is water. We're also told that we should drink half of our body weight in ounces of water. So again, for me, that's 80 ounces of water. That is a lot of water. We're also told that if we just sit down and guzzle about a gallon of water at one sitting and one time, it could possibly kill us. And we are also told that if less than a half a cup of water enters into our lungs, it could also possibly kill us. We are also told that we can survive several weeks without food, maybe months, but only a few days without water. The importance of water. Water is needed to sustain life, to grow our crops. Life is dependent upon water. Some of you work on the water, and we see the the balance between water on land and water in the actual pond, water in the bay, and the balance that needs to be done, the importance that is given to water. We all know the importance of water and how much we're dependent upon water, but how much more might water be at our 
of our minds if we lived in the desert, if we lived in the midst of a very dry climate. Jesus often used water for teaching opportunities, living in that dry, arid climate. And he does so again today in our text that is before us this morning. And so we want to look at these three words or these three verses and how they apply or what the analogy Jesus is using as compared with water. And he starts out in verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, the great day of the feast. And we've already talked a little bit about that. I think we have, or maybe I have just read, but I think we've talked a little bit about that, how the great day of the feast, this particular feast was the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of the Tabernacle, if you will. And all it did is it represented the time where the people of Israel, as they wandered around the wilderness, and uh, they spent 40 years out there, and they lived in tents, and they lived as nomads, in essence. They were backpackers, if you will, and they lived in tents and things like that. And so this was a, a festival so that the people would remember where they came from, remember what God had led them out of and how God provided manna, provided food for them, and how, how God provided water for them from a rock and things like that. And so that's what this festival was all about. And so once a year they would get together, and it was a very joyous, a very festive time as they would think about and as they would remember what God has brought them out of and what God has now led them from. And so the tradition was that uh, for seven days, this was a seven-day feast, and so the last day of the feast would have actually been the eighth day, and that was kind of a, the, the grand finale, if you will, I guess. And this is the particular day, evidently, that, that John is writing about here. But for seven days, the priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam and get a pitcher of water and bring it from the Pool of Siloam and march it up to the altar in the temple along with all the other sacrifices as a drink offering and offer that water to the Lord, maybe acknowledging uh, that the thirst is quenched by God and how God had provided water uh, for the people. But whatever it might have been, I'm not sure, but that was the tradition as they did that. And as, the, as they came in, they came into the water gate on the south side of the city, uh, the trumpet would sound and there would be three sounds of the trumpet and the people would, would recite Isaiah 12, verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Pool of Siloam. I was like, well, where is this Pool of Siloam? Looking at your nice little handy-dandy Bible maps, and you'd use the little scale on it, and I discovered that it's about, um, let's see, a third of a mile. A third of a mile was the Pool of Siloam from the altar. So think about that, right? I mean, I sometimes think, and I'm not sure if I can think this way or not, but I try to put it in us today. I mean, for like seven days, there was a parade, Seven days it was prayed. I mean, as kids and things like that, imagine the scene that must have been for seven days in a row as the priests would march down. I'm sure they were all decked out in their suit and tie or whatever they, they wore, right, in the garb for the day. And, and they would march in this, this procession that would bring the water up through there. And then they would blast the horn and they would all recite, therefore you joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. I mean, for... That must have been a good time. Can you kind of picture it? Can you kind of picture the excitement uh, that must have been as they remembered this? I mean, we think of reunions, and we think of things like that, and there was only three feasts that they were required to attend as Jewish people, and this was one of them. And so once a year, they would all gather together in Jerusalem like that, and this one here was one of those very, very joyous occasions. Well, this is now the eighth day. And this is the day now, and we're going to pick up what, what Jesus had to say on this eighth day. 
because now on the last day of the great day of the feast, that was the eighth day, and the eighth day they wouldn't have they wouldn't have had, they would have had some sacrifices, but evidently, according to tradition, they didn't go get the water from the pool of Siloam and bring it up to the temple. And so here Jesus says that on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood out, stood up and cried out, saying, cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Now, I think it's important. We want to hone in a little bit on that little phrase. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, and Jesus stood or he had been standing. And I think it's an important note to make here that the person who was actually teaching, unlike this, you would all be standing and I would be sitting. Maybe we need to try that some Sunday. But, you know, and, but, but, and so here Jesus was standing, and so that would tell us that Jesus was not in the position of, of teaching, authority, if you will, not in a negative sense of the word authority. But he wasn't the one who was garnering the attention. He wasn't the one that people were focused in on. And so Jesus, I'm sure, positioned himself at just the right location, at just the right place where he was standing at an optimum location where he could garner their attention when he stood out. So I'm sure he positioned himself well to be heard, and he cried out. And that is just simply to say that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And I want to give you a little bit of a sense of what this cried out might have been like, the intensity and the urgency of this cry. And so bear with me just for a little bit, because we're going to look at six places in Matthew just really quickly where this same word in the original language is used to give us a sense of how Jesus uh, and how it must have sounded, what John wants us to understand, how it was that Jesus cried out. And through these, all these references are going to come from Matthew. You can write them down if you like. They're all from Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. And this is where Jesus cast out some demons. And they, the demons, cried out, saying, here they are, they cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 1430, this is where Jesus where Jesus came walking on the water. Peter thinks, hey, I'm going to try that, steps out of the boat, and this is his response. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began sinking, and he cried out, Lord, save me. 1522, this is a physician woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, and she came to Jesus, and the Canaanite woman came from the region and came out and said, crying out and saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. In 20, verse 30, this is when the blind people were sitting there and they cried out to Jesus outside the temple. Remember that story? And two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And then in one chapter over, the 21-9, the triumphal procession, as Jesus, uh, uh, we call it, um, what do we call that? Palm Sunday. <laughs> as Jesus came into the temple and the people were there singing and crying out and the crowds going ahead of him and those who were following, and here's our word, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I want to leave you with one last one, and that's on 27, verse 23. And this is where Jesus is standing before Pilate. And he says this, and he said, and Pilate said, why? Because the people were shouting, crucify him. Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting, there's our word, shouting. They kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him. It is in this sense that we must understand the intensity and the tone 
that Jesus used as he here stood up and he cried out on this last day. No water was being brought in and he, and he, he stands and he cries out and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from him, from his inner being, will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. What a statement. What a speech. What must the people have thought when they heard these words for the first time? What must they thought? Here's a guy, he wasn't teaching. He wasn't the one saying that, and, and maybe they missed the water coming into the temple. I don't know. And sometimes you just let your mind run a little bit, right, to put yourself within the story. And here Jesus, here this guy stands up and says, hey, if anybody's thirsty, come to me. Come to me. What a statement. But before we can continue unfolding these three verses, I want to highlight your obligation, my obligation as Christians. We also must cry out. We also must position ourselves in such a place where we too cry out. It's the Great Commission, is it not? It's the Great Commission, and, and I thought about that for a moment, and there's really three ways, many different ways. I don't really like to use the word way because that sounds um, kind of programmatic, but not, not trying to be that way, but um, our life, right? There are ways we cry out by meaning to or not meaning to. We do it with teaching or preaching as I do here, right? Um, as I stand here and preach, I'm proclaiming, I'm crying out. But we also do it in our life, do we not? And often we are told our, our life, our actions speaks louder than our words, right? And there, that's, that's a very, very true. So I can stand here and I can preach, but there sits my daughter and my wife, and they know that, <laughs> okay, Dad, why don't you practice what you preach, right? Our life speaks and cries out, does it not? The life we live. Our social media presence, the things we post, the things we like, the things we don't like, the comments we can make. It's just, we need to be cautious and we need to be careful, do we not? Because we are crying out, if we're meaning to or not. We cry out in living, but we also cry out in dying, do we not? Some lives in this earth, in their time that they have here, maybe they're kind of obscure. Maybe the life hasn't spoken much, but we've all seen those who in dying have cried out and have pointed to Christ, have they not? And they've, they've shown there is no fear, there's only hope. This past year, if you let your mind wander for just a little bit, we buried four such folks from our congregation right here. Think about their life. Think about the message they sent. Think about how they cried out. We think of Jim, who gave his life to Christ on his deathbed. What a statement, right? We think of Judy. Now, she cried out all of life <laughs> and pointed to God. But she was probably very impactful to some that she might have not been in life in her dying process. Think about Norman. Wow. Now there's a man who was quiet, was he not? But listen to how he cried out in his final days. 
And it was Larry. Larry who was among us. And as I, I didn't know Larry all that well. But as I got to know Larry, I spent time there at his house. He too left quite a, quite a crying out, if we want to use that word, in dying. So we do it in living. We do it in dying. And we do it as a legacy too, do we not? Sometimes we don't hear much. In fact, many of the great authors that we read, that I read and hopefully you read, um, their life had very little impact, but the writings they left have left a truly, truly great legacy, a spiritual legacy. We all want to leave a legacy, do we not? And as fathers, as mothers, we want to leave a legacy for our children. We want our children to remember us. How do we want them to remember us? And often we want, to, we want it done by maybe material goods or maybe by the standards of the world. But what type of spiritual legacy are we leaving? We are crying out. We cry out in living, we cry out in dying, and we cry out from the grave, if you will, to the watching world. But now, let's make a transition and actually look at these verses here before us this morning. And so in these three verses, let me give you a roadmap of where I'm going to go with them in the time I have left. And first, first it will see the admission of thirst. The admission of thirst. And then second, the acceptance of drink offered. And then finally, third, the acknowledgement of a thirst quenched. For those who you like to write these things down, admission of thirst, acceptance of drink offered, acknowledgement of thirst quenched. So look back at me, with me to the second half of verse 37. In the actual words of Jesus, where he says, if anyone is thirsty... If anyone is thirsty, this is the admission of thirst, right? I mean, how are you going to take a drink if you don't admit that you are thirsty? But I want to first look at, look at the very first word that Jesus starts out with. And it's a conjunction, but it's just not any conjunction. It's a conditional junction, is it not? It is if. If is a conditional statement. Conditional on what? If anyone is thirsty. Anyone is anyone. But the condition must be if you are thirsty. Will you admit your acknowledgement for thirst? It's a conditional, and yet it's offered for anyone. It's not just for those who are chosen, those who are predestined, those who, who are elected, whatever your the, the, theological bent may be. It's not just for, for those who have made the right choice. It's for all of those, but it's not just for those. It's also for those who decide to reject or turn away. It's offered for anyone, but you must admit and you must acknowledge your need for thirst, your need for water. J.C. Rowell had this to write. He said, the very first step to heaven, toward heaven, is to be thoroughly convinced that what we deserve is hell. I mean, that's harsh, right? I read those words and I was like, whoa. The very first step toward heaven is to be thoroughly convinced that we deserve hell. That's hard. Yes, it is. But let's back up just for a moment. And let's maybe unpack that for just a moment. I want to I read to you from Psalm chapter 42 as we think about these words of Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, in Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 to 2, probably a psalm you're quite familiar with. It says, as the deer pants for water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for the living God. My soul thirsts. And I, I, I get that picture because, I mean, obviously I like deer. I like nature. I like all those things. And, and I just get this picture of in our mind of this, this deer that is being chased by hounds, right, and is thirsting and is longing for, for a drink. And I was reminded, I was taken back to, to when I actually used to go hunting, and, and I used to drive an hour and a half. Can you believe that? I drove an hour and a half. I'd get up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and drive an hour and a half and, and walk into my tree stand in the dark. I mean, it was, I, I was committed. But there was this one place that I hunted, and it was beside a beagle club. And the beagle club had beagles in it. You didn't just bring your beagle, but they also housed beagles there. And it was a back ridge of where I used to hunt. And whenever I'd hear those beagles get out, because sometimes those beagles would escape, and I'd hear those beagles get out, and I'd run from my tree stand on that back ridge because I knew what was going to happen. It, it, it was a great thing when I heard those. And I never, in true confession, I never let the beagles out on purpose. But these beagles would run deer, and they would come right past my stand on that back ridge. I don't care what time of the day it was. I was eating lunch, whatever it was. I heard those beagles. I'd head off to that tree stand. And often that was the case. Along the deer would come. And sometimes the deer came way before the beagle. And here's this little dog. I mean, his legs are like that long, right? And the body's, but that little legs. And here the beagle would come. And you think, how is the beagle actually even going to catch that deer? Right? But deer are sprinters. Beagles are kind of like me, right? <laughs> A little short, fat guy that is good at endurance. Good at endurance. And that beagle, we are told, could sooner or later wear that deer out by just simply running after it. Sooner or later, a beagle will wear the deer down. And I think that's what J.C. Rowell wants us to understand. And that's what I think the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 42. Until you are worn down, from trying to quench your thirst on everything and in every way, you will not acknowledge what you are truly thirsting for, your need for God, my need for God. And you've heard enough of my stories, how I've tried to quench my thirst with anything but God. But you were probably there somewhat too, weren't you? As we think about that, and until we actually acknowledge and admit our, our, our need for thirst, will not. We'll not actually drink, will we? If anyone is thirsty, are you thirsty? The first step is admission of thirst. The second is the acceptance of the drink offered. In 37D, the last half of that chapter, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. I read those words. It reminded me of Matthew chapter 11, 28, where it says, Come to me. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me again. There's this word, come. If anyone is thirsty, come to me. If anybody's worn out and tired and weary, come to me. The acceptance of the drink offered has terms. We must come, right? We must accept the drink that is offered. And in this proclamation of Jesus, they would have heard the words of Isaiah 55, 1. 
They would have heard the words of Isaiah 55.1, but not Isaiah 55.1 all by itself. They would have heard it in context. How many times do I tell Everything has a context. And so as they heard these words of Jesus, they had the Old Testament, as we call the Old Testament. It wasn't old to them. It was their Bible. And they would have heard these words. And in the context of Isaiah 55, 1, that I believe Jesus is referring to here, I want to remind you of them. And I want to go back. I could go way back, but I'm only going to go back two chapters and, and just to refresh your memory just a little bit and try to put Isaiah 55, 1 in context. It's the suffering servant chapter. Isaiah 55, just starting at verse 4, just to put a few of these verses before you. Surely our grief, he himself, the suffering servant we know as Jesus, he himself bore. In our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of the people to whom the stroke was for or was due. That's the suffering servant. Chapter 54, it kind of gives a little bit of explanation to what came before. And again, I want to read a few verses there before you as I'm building to somewhere. Isaiah chapter 55, verses starting at verse 4 again. Fear not, Isaiah says. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated. And you will not be disgraced. Unlike the suffering servant, right? Isaiah is now saying, but, but fear not. You won't be put to shame. You won't feel humiliated. You won't be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth. In the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. Again, in context, for your husband is your maker, your maker being God, whose name is Yahweh of hosts. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For Yahweh has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she's rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. And it's now that we turn the page and we get to Isaiah 55.1. Ho. Hey, pay attention. <laughs> right? That's ho, right? Ho, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It gives us a sense of, of vendors standing there, street vendors, and, 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 and motioning for the passerbyers to come. Come and eat. Come and buy. Come and get this, but, but without cost. Come to the waters, it says. It highlights the need for water. 
for the thirsty. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. It, it highlights the poverty for the needy one, right? This is a purchase which is free for the purchaser. Poverty is no barrier, no money, no problem, says the vendor. Come on, come and buy, come and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It highlights the richness. It's not just water and bread. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's milk and it's, and it's all these, these good things, milk and wine, and you can buy them all without money. But, right, but I want you to notice that along with this freeness is this little verb, buy, and it's used twice. See, there is no free lunch, is there? There, there is no free lunch. There is a purchase, and the purchase comes with a price. But the price is not for the passer buyer to pay, right? The, the price is not for the passer buyer to pay. They come in their poverty, and they receive what has been prepaid on their behalf. It's been prepaid on their behalf by the servant of chapter 53. He has paid all those in poverty. All they need to do is to come, admit your poverty, and accept what is freely offered. This is the context that they heard when they heard these words of Jesus. Come back to verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now this says, come. Come to me and drink. In the English, it gives us a sense that it's a one and done. This is not a one and done. In fact, if you look at the footnote of your, your Bible, if you've got a quality translation there, it will tell you that really we should read this as, let him keep coming to me and let him keep drinking, right? So you get thirsty and then you're satisfied for a while and then you need another drink. So it's to keep coming. And what is not being said here, though, is not, not we're resaved. We're not saved again. It's a one-time deal as we are saved, but yet there's a time that we find in our life those moments of dryness, those moments of, uh, of where we need that refreshment, where we just, have you ever been there? Where your, your spiritual life, and I know you have, your spiritual life is just like, man, God, I don't know, are you even there? We're getting these moments of dryness, and Jesus says, Come. Come to you who thirst, and I will give you water. I will give you something to drink. See, the terms of the drink offered is acceptance. Acceptance. Acceptance of your impoverished condition. One of the hardest things to accept is a free handout. Free to the receiver, but not to the giver. I've experienced that at times. I needed a handout. I needed help. And how hard that is to accept. That's hard, is it not? Can you relate with that? And this brings us to our final point. That's the acknowledgement of the thirst quenched. The acknowledgement of the thirst quenched. You see in Isaiah 55, 1, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. In John chapter 7, verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And both of these, Jesus is saying, you need to come. I need to come. The acknowledgement is that you cannot quench your own thirst. That is what we need to acknowledge, that yes, we are thirsty. Yes, there's something that we are, are longing for. Yes, there's something that we come to receive. And yet there's nothing that we can do to receive it on our own behalf. 
It reminds us of John 3.16, does it not? For God so loved the world that whoever gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, again, it's offered for anyone and for everyone, but there's a condition attached. You must believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. John 14.6, if I am the way Jesus said the truth in life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own self. This is the gift of God so that you can't boast, so that I can't boast. It is the gift of God, and we could continue over and over and over again. We are acknowledged that the gift is available for everyone and that it is free, but you must. You must receive. You must accept the terms of the free gift that is offered. Now, I would be negligent in my preaching if I did not point out to you that today is Pentecost Sunday. I find that I kind of ironic, I guess, if you will. As you already know, I preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. I didn't plan on preaching these three verses on Pentecost Sunday. And yet look at verse 38. Jesus says, he who believes in me as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John chapter 30, or John ver, or verse 39, John does what he often does, and he adds commentary to the words that Jesus has just spoken. And this is what John says. But this he, Jesus, spoke of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified, so I want to go there first. What does that mean? Well, that just simply means that the work that Jesus has done was not completed yet, right? You can take that word and you can follow that thread as I was tempted to do all the way throughout the biblical text. Simply means that there's the life of Jesus, there's the death of Jesus, there's the resurrection of Jesus, there's the ascension of Jesus, right? That's glorification. That's reaching that completed state that you and I are also looking forward to, right? Right now we're being sanctified as we, we wrestle through this life and we fail and we get up and we continue on. There'll be a time where we too will be glorified. That's what's being spoken of here. There's a time when our work, our life on earth is done and at that moment we are glorified and as Jesus is, is, is raised from the grave and he ascends on that 40th day, that has not yet happened. That's what John wants to point out to us as readers. See, Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, therefore, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. And so when it struck me that this is Pentecost Sunday, I had to go here in closing, and that is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Because this is when actually the Holy Spirit was given, because Jesus said, hey, if I don't go away, the helper, the comforter won't come. The comforter was always there, it was all the way throughout the Old Testament. I mean, we believe in a, in, in, in a one God, a monotheist, Right? But revealed in, in, in three persons. So, so here now is the spirit given to the people. And when the day of Pentecost, when today had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise of a violent rushing wind. And it was filled in the whole house where they were, where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing among themselves. And they were rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. This is when the Spirit was poured out upon the people for the first time. And I also want to remind you of Romans 
8, chapter 9, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. How have you not in the flesh, but in the spirit? You are not in the, in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit this morning, you, you're not a Christian. There are some who want to teach a twofold uh, salvation, right? Well, you can be a Christian and have not received the Holy Spirit. That's erroneous teaching. That is false. That is false teachers who portray that. Clearly, we see that Paul is saying, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. There is no such thing as a twofold come to Christ, come to Jesus meeting. It's a one and done. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is today. That is what Jesus is saying is you come to the waters. And this is what he's speaking to when he says, come to the waters and I will give you my Holy Spirit. And from you, as he said in 39, from you will flow rivers of living water. What's that guy's name? Ponce de Leon or something? He was looking at all the wrong places for the fountain of youth, was he not? And so I ask you, where are you looking to quench your thirst? Where are you looking to quench your thirst for, for justice, for satisfaction, to ease your pain and suffering, for fulfillment? Where are you looking for your identity, for your peace, for your security? So on this Pentecost Sunday, I ask you, does the spirit of the living God live within you? Do you thirst? Do you thirst? Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you for your life, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection and ascension, and that you freely offer this gift to each one of us. And so, Father, I do pray, starting with me, that you would create a, a hunger, a thirst within me for you, for others, and for proclaiming your word. And Father, I pray that your hearts and that your, you, you, you would search each heart and mind here this morning as we come to the Lord's table this morning and as we, we remember why this gift is free for us this, us this morning. And Lord, things that are within there that should not be within our hearts and minds, Lord, it's just between us and you, between me and you. Lord, we just confess those to you and proclaim this day to do better continue to rely upon you. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.